Okay, just very quickly, a recap, because we've got some kids in here who haven't been in this class, and I know how familiar they are with the book of Esther, and some others were telling me they missed a couple of lessons because they weren't able to be here. Uh, but basically, the book of Esther is about um, a lady by the name of Esther, and that's the end of my recap. No. <laughs> no, this is about a time in the land of Persia when a guy by the name of Xerxes was king. And uh, chapter 1 of the book of Esther deals with the fact that this king had a big wild party and he decided he wanted to have his queen come in and not quite sure what he wanted her to do, but whatever he wanted her to do, she wasn't going to do it. And it got everybody upset because if, if she was willing to disobey her husband and the king of the land, what would it lead to, Roger? What was that? Oh, okay. Yeah, they forget where their place was in the kitchen, wouldn't they? Uh, yeah, that's fine. I understand. I understand. You get, when you get a little older, you got to get a little help. But anyway, they said you need to do something about Queen Vashti because if her... Uh, example was set forth in the kingdom that all the women would not know what their place is, and so they did away with Queen Vashti. Not sure what happened to her, but she's no longer in the picture. She's no longer queen. Well, in chapter 2, we have the king getting lonely, so he decided to have a big beauty contest and bring in women from all over the land of Persia. And it so happened that the one he picked as the queen was a Jewish woman by the name of Esther. Esther was the adopted daughter of Mordecai, and um, Mordecai uh, was someone who also was a Jew, obviously. And um, the story goes on, I'm not covering every detail, but uh, Mordecai liked to hang out at the gate of the uh, palace, and he overheard that there was two men who were figuring out a way to assassinate the king. He reported it, and um, the plot was stopped. And it was written in the official records of the kingdom, but nothing was ever done for Mordecai. Somebody dropped the ball and never did honor him in any way. And then a little bit later on, we're introduced to a very hateful man by the name of Haman. And Haman, who was made prime minister of the land of Persia, Persia, second in command under the king. And the king issued an order that whenever Haman came into an area that people were supposed to bow down and give him the honor that he thought was due him. Well, that worked pretty well, except for when he came in contact with Mordecai, and Mordecai refused to bow down to him, and we went to a long explanation why that might be. And this made Haman very mad, so he went to the king and offered him a large sum of money and said, um, I will give you this if you pass a law that is written according to the Medes and the Persians. And young people, a law that's written according to the Medes and the Persians means what? So Karen thinks she's a young person, all right. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's okay. Once the law was written by the Medes and the Persians, it cannot be altered. It's there. I mean, it can't be changed no matter what. And so uh, he wanted a law written that all the Jews would be killed on a certain day. Fifteen million people would be put to death on a certain day. And the king agreed to it. And in the meantime, when Mordecai found out about it, he told Queen Esther, 
Queen Esther, you've got to go talk to the king. And Queen Esther says, you don't understand how it works in a palace. You don't go see the king unless he asks to see you. And I haven't seen him in 30 days. If I go in there and I'm not invited, the law is I am going to be put to death. And Mordecai told Esther, don't you think just because you're the queen that you're going to be spared uh, from this uh, mass uh, murder that's going to take place? Uh, you need to go see the king. And if you don't go see him, God's going to provide another means. But you may have been become queen for just such a time as this. And Esther says, well, I perish, I perish. I'm going to go see the king. And she goes to see the king, and the king says, is happy to see her. He extends his scepter to her, and he comes in, he, she comes in, and he says, um, I'm willing to give you half of my kingdom, whatever you want, my queen. It's so good to see you. And the queen says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you later, but in the meantime, I want you and Haman to come eat dinner with me. And so he says, that's what we'll do. And then Haman and, and the king goes eats dinner with Esther. And um, Haman's all excited because the, he gets to eat with the queen and the king. And uh, nobody else has to do that. And he just thinks he's the best thing that's ever been invented since sliced bread. And uh, the king is at the dinner. And he says, now, Esther, tell me what your request is. And Esther says, uh-uh-uh. I'm going to have another meal tomorrow. And then I'll tell you. And you and Mr. Haman need to come back. So Mr. Haman is all excited because he gets to come back and eat with the king and the queen again. But on the way out, Michael, who does he run into? Mordecai. And that just ruins his whole night. So he goes home and tells his wife and his family and his friends that he can't be happy as long as Mordecai is alive. And so Mordecai, he has decided needs to be put to death and hung up on top of a big pole, going to impale him. And, but he has to get the king's permission to do this, so he decided the very next morning uh, he's going to go back and um, talk to the king. Well, during the night, the king, for some reason, couldn't sleep. Uh, we talked about how it was probably the providence of God, but he couldn't sleep. And so he asked one of his servants to come in and read something to him. And the thing that the servant picked was from the chronicles of the palace, and it so happened, once again, perhaps through the providence of God, that it fell at the very place where it talked about how Mordecai saved his life. And the king asked the servant, was anything ever done for Mordecai? And uh, the servant said, no, evidently it fell through the cracks, nothing ever happened. Well, he said, the king says, well, something needs to be done, this man saved my life. And so uh, he says, is there anybody in the palace that, that is a... Uh, an advisor that I can get to tell me what to do. And the servant says, well, you know, Haman's here. He was here early this morning, in fact. He says, well, bring him on in. And Haman comes in, and the king says, Haman, if there were somebody that the king really wanted to honor, how would you honor him? And, of course, Haman, being an egomaniac, thought he was talking about him. So he said, well, I'd give him the king's robe, I'd give him the king's crown, I'd put him on the king's horse, and I'd have a notable man of the country take this man through the city and tell everybody how wonderful and great this man was. And he was expecting the king says, okay, Haman, we're going to do that for you. But instead, he said, Haman, go find Mordecai, and you do that for him. Oh, that Mordecai, he messed Haman up again. And sure enough, he went and, and took him all around. It's like the king said, because the king had ordered it, um, and he was looking forward to the day he's going to kill uh, Mordecai, but in the meantime, he was summoned back to go eat this meal, this last meal with the king and the queen, and uh, once again, the king asked Esther, Esther, what is it that you want? 
And basically, to paraphrase, the queen said, um, I'm going to be put to death soon. And the king says, what are you talking about? And basically, she reminded him about the decree that he made. And, of course, that reminded him how the decree came about and um, how Haman was behind all of it. Made him very angry, of course, and he walks out into uh, the garden uh, to try to control his anger. In the meantime, Haman, who knew he's about to uh, lose his life, uh, gets on the same couch with the queen, which was not a good thing to do, to beg for his life. And the king comes in and sees her, him on the couch, and that's all it took to have him taken out and impaled on the very pole that he was going to kill Mordecai. And that's basically where the story ended last week. Did I do a pretty good job of catching everybody up there? Did that cover everything? Did I leave anything out important? That, okay. So everybody knows the gist of the story now that maybe didn't, and hopefully everybody that hasn't been in here for whatever the reason is called up. And that now brings us to chapter 8. Okay? In chapter 8, in verse 1 says, On that day did the king... King James has Hazarurus, but we'll call him by his Persian name, Xerxes. On that day, the king Xerxes gave the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen. Okay? So the very first thing after, after um, Haman was put to death, uh, the queen got his entire fortune. Got the house, got the barn, got the horses. I guess he, she even got the pole. I don't know what she could do with it. But um, why do you think he did that? And how did he have the right to do that? All right. He stirred the thing up. Mike, you want to say something? You want to say Okay. A king, when a man was convicted of a, cr- of a crime, the state would confiscate their property. And that even happens in the United States today. If you're involved in certain crimes, guess what happens to all your property? They'll seize it, and it's theirs. In fact, you can go online and go to um, police auctions, and you can buy cars and other things that have been seized because they were involved in criminal acts, and then you can bid on them, and you can have that car if you want it. And if you look real good between the seat cushions, they'll tell them what you might find in there. Um, but anyway, and so this is what happened when Haman was conv- uh, convicted of a capital crime, which he was because he was put to death for it. All of his property became uh, the state's. And so the king had the right to do whatever he wanted to with it. And, of course, during this time, he was a despot anyway, and he could take it if he wanted to anyway. But that was the, uh, the law of the Persians also, as it was in many countries. Um, but why do you think he gave it to Queen Esther? I mean, why didn't he just add it to the treasury, or why didn't he just, you know, use it for some other thing? Why did he give it to Queen Esther? Okay. Maybe it's a way to kind of make her feel better. Um, yes, Jeff. Okay. All right. And um, some people, of course, there's no way of knowing this for sure, but uh, in modern-day dollars, they think that the estate of Haman was probably around $10 million. Because you remember just what he offered the king uh, was such a huge amount that they believed that he was a pretty wealthy man. Um, I also like to think of the idea of how this kind of started uh, when Haman came to King Xerxes to get this particular law passed. There was some money involved, and um, 
Haman was going to make the king a wealthy man. Well, maybe this was some, some type of contrition, maybe some repentance here. To let the queen know that I don't want Haman's property. I'm going to give it to you to show you that I, you know, I'm sorry for what happened, that this, you were almost put to death because of the fact that I was interested in this money. Yes. Well, but here's the thing that's funny about that, though. Evidently, the idea is that um, it was given to her outright, that he had no benefit to it because we're going to see in just a little bit that she uh, basically put Mordecai in charge of it as an executor. So it was evidently hers to do whatever she wanted to. But you're right, you know, he's still the king, though, and I guess if he changes his mind, he could change his mind. Um, but um, also I want you to notice, we've talked about this before, um, but I think the kids would find this interesting. Uh, you notice that now that in this particular chapter in verse 1, it refers to, uh, to Haman as the Jew's enemy. And I told this class before that this particular book is read once a year by the Jewish people uh, in their houses when what's called the Feast of Purim. And they'll read the whole story. It doesn't take long to read it because, you know, it's only, uh, nine, it's only 10 chapters. And, but every time they would come to Haman's name in this particular book, uh, remember what I said the people would do, that the children and the people in the room, what would they do? Stomp and spit and boo and probably pick up apples off the table and throw them at people. I mean, all kinds of meanness going on. But they so hated this particular man and what he was trying to do. And so um, I think it's interesting now they refer to it as uh, the Jews' enemy. But then in verse 1 it says, And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. So basically what the verse is saying, the king says, Mordecai, you need to come see me. And the reason why you need to come see me, because Mordecai told me who you were. Now what did Esther tell the king that Mordecai, who was he? He already knew Mordecai. He already gave him a, a big honor. So what does that mean? Do what? All right, her adopted father. So what did Xerxes discover then? They were in-laws. He went from being outlaws to in-laws. You see what happened there? Under Haman, under Haman, he was an outlaw. Under Xerxes, he's now an in-law. He's part of the family. Um, this is the queen's daddy. And uh, the king didn't know anything about that. And so notice what happens in verse 2. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. So what did the king just do to Mordecai? He, made him the, he, took, he gave him the same office that Haman had. He is now the prime minister of Persia, second in command. It's good when you're in law with the king, you know. And um, after this was done, it says, And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. And that would make sense. Haman was where the prime minister lived. He had a palace there. And so Esther uh, either made him an executor over that particular estate that he could uh, be in charge of and take care of it, or he, she might have given him uh, the house. It's not really clear how that works in that particular se section other than we know that Mordecai now is dwelling in the house of Haman. And um, like I said, I don't, the Bible doesn't say what happened to that pole, if it's still there or not. But we still have a problem. Everything's nice now. Esther 
Um, life uh, is going to be better because she's got some money. Uh, Mordecai is now second in command, and, and the enemy Haman is gone. But we've still got a problem. That's a very big problem. And what's the big problem? Yes, Flo. Now, I'm more than agree. He passed a law. He passed a law that cannot be changed, that all the Jews are going to die. And that's the very nature of the law of the Medes and the Persians. It was set in stone that way, so the king would be very careful about how he ruled, because once he made a law, it cannot be changed. And so we've got a big problem. We can be happy about uh, Mordecai being second in command. We can be happy that Haman is dead. But really nothing's changed as far as the decree is concerned. Um, On a certain day, about eight months away, uh, 15 million Jews are going to be killed. So something's got to be done about that. And, of course, Esther's very aware of that. So Esther, once again, decides she's going to go see the king. We don't have the buildup that we did before about whether or not she thought it was wise or not. But once again, she's going to go into the throne room, and the impression you get is that she is not invited. She decides to do this on her own, which in a sense is putting her life in danger again, but I doubt with everything happening that he would kill her uh, for coming in unannounced. But she decides to do this again. So uh, that's why it says in verse 3, And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet. It's the idea that she came into the throne room again. And it says, and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman, the Agite, and of his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, meaning that she was approved to be there. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing to his eyes. Let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamatha, the Agite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the uh, provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So basically she comes before the king and she says, you have got to reverse this law. This can't happen. Um, The law is in effect. It's got to be stopped or everybody's going to die. It's going to happen. Well, look at verse 7. Then the king Xerxes said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged upon the gallows because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name, and sealed with the king's ring, may no man reverse. So, what does he tell them then? That's exactly right. He's basically saying, I can't change the law. But guess what? You've got an awful lot of power now. Why don't you come up with something that would take care of the situation? In other words, I don't know what to do, but y'all be smart. You have all the power you need. Come up with some, something else, some type of device, some type of plan, some type of law. Write whatever you need to write. You have my ring, and you can make it law, but there's one thing we can't do. We can't change the law that's already been written. So... 
He's given them permission with the full authority of the government behind them to come up with some plan to take care of this law and to take care of this date that's going to take place in about eight months that is going to cause all the Jews to be killed. Okay? So, then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is the month of Sivan on the, on the three and twentieth uh, day thereof, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants and the deputies and the rulers of the provinces are from India unto Ethiopia, 127 provinces and you know, all the things, all the different places. And he said to write into the languages of everyone and the Jews according to their writing and according to their uh, language. And in verse 10 it says, He wrote in the king's Xerxes' name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by post on horseback and riders on mules and camels and young uh, dromedaries. So evidently, Mordecai brings all these writers in, and he knew what to do, and he had them write this decree. This is going to be a new law. And um, he had wrote it in every single language so everybody would understand, both the Jews included. And then in verse 10, he basically gave it to the Persian Pony Express. And we talked about how that the Persian Empire was the forerunners of the Pony Express, and because they had a lot of territory to cover, but they were very speedy about it, and he got the uh, to get this decree written and sent out to everybody so they would know what was going on. And here's what was decided. Here's how they were going to handle the situation. Verse 11. Wherein the king granted the Jews which were in every city to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, to cause, to perish, all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. So what was Esther's and Mordecai's answer to the decree that Haman set up? They can fight back. In fact, you can use all means possible to fight back. And if anybody does attack you and you fight back and you beat them, you get to have everything that they own. And um, basically, verse 11 is a way of saying that any and all means possible or any means necessary, uh, you're going to fight back this particular thing. And the implication is also that the kingdom or the government would provide to you the means that were necessary, uh, whether it be an AK-47 or tanks or whatever. They had them there ready, okay? Might even had some laser blasters, I don't know. Because um, these Persians they had all kinds of things, but um, you think about this. This is a pretty um, amazing thing that the king would allow them to write this decree. Because basically, what have what has this particular decree instigated now? All right, what are you going to say? Yeah, you raised your hand. She did. I'm sorry. I was going to call. All right, a civil war. This would be cause this would be cause a, a nation to be fighting within itself, and so uh, whoever came that was carrying out the uh, first decree, and it would be soldiers, and it'd be other countrymen that wanted that had a hatred of the Jews. Um, they can now be repelled, and um, a lot of people have take umbrage with verse eleven, where it talks about the latter part there, both little ones and women. Uh, in other words, the implication is that you can kill even babies and women if they get in your way to keep you from protecting yourself. 
Well, that may be what it's saying, but the NIV has a little bit clearer translation here. What what are we going to say, Flo? Um, The idea is they didn't have the means to. Yeah, they didn't have the means to. And uh, basically, since it was the edict of the government, they didn't have permission to. Hey, it happens all the time. You know, if the government if the government has decided you're going to die, uh, but today uh, the United States decided that everybody who's a member of the church is going to die, uh, we maybe could fight back. Some of us might fight back. I know a few of us might, but um, but the power of the government be just too great. I mean, it'd be overwhelming. I mean, uh, they may have had some swords hidden in their house, or maybe a, a, a 22 or something, but they had atomic bombs. You know, so. It's hard to fight with that. Yeah, so, but anyway, but what this law has now done is given them the material they need. It's given them the permission that they need. And not only that, but this has been broadcasted all over the nation. This is changing the whole dynamics of the whole situation. All right, I saw Michael, then I get to Grady. Right. It it was just the reverse, but now it was the Jews coming this way instead of the Jews being put down. And um, also keep in mind that um, the people who were not Jews had the responsibility to kill the Jews. And so, because it never, it doesn't say anywhere in the text that it's just soldiers going to do in this. It's just everybody's going to be put to death. Now, I think I saw Flo, then I'll come back to you. Yeah, and if you, if you know somebody is going to fight back, it really makes you think a little bit. Yes, Tony. No, um, the Persian Empire at this time probably was around 150 million people, and the Jews were around 15 million people. So the numbers are not that, you know. But the idea is, well, we even talked about this earlier. The people of the kingdom of Persia were flabbergasted that there ever was this law. They were upset about it, and there's a lot of reasons why they were upset about it. Uh, here were 15 productive, tax-paying people. They're all suddenly going to be wiped off the face of the earth, and at the same time, just the humanity of it. You know, not everybody is into watching people get killed. And they just made no sense to them. Yes, Michael? That's right. And guess what? The king is married to a Jew and has an in-law that's a Jew. That's right. That's right. But um, so basically, a law has been written that all the Jews are going to be killed. But now a law has been written. But them Jews are going to fight back. Okay? Uh, I see another hand somewhere. Anybody, anything else? Okay, well, basically verse 12 says that, uh, boy, we're starting right out of time. Verse 12 says that this was, of course, published. In verse 13, it goes on and says that um, every province was published unto all the people that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves from their enemies. So the posts that rode upon the mules and the camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment, and the decree was given at Sushan the palace. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Sushan rejoiced and was glad. So the king really decked out Mordecai. He went from wearing sackcloth and ashes there at the gate. Now I get a picture of him walking out on a big balcony and he's got all this stuff on and everybody's cheering at him and whatnot. And, uh, but why was the city of Sushan, which is, of course, the palace, the city where the palace was, why were they rejoicing and glad when they saw Mordecai? Let me just, 
All right? They put the law in place, which made them feel better because they didn't like the other law. And, of course, yeah, this was the king's in-law, and he was the guy in charge now, too. And Jeff, what are you going to say? Yep. I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of people who were thinking, hey, one of our guys is now in charge. In fact, it says, verse 16, that the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. They just had it all the way around. They were, went from being someone who was about to be killed to being someone who was held in prestige in the land is the idea. And it says, in every province and in every city, wheresoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. Don't you love it when you have a good day? They were having a good day. But here's the thing that is shocking. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Now, you can look at a lot of different commentaries, and they have two different answers on this. But either here we read of of Gentiles becoming Jews by means of proselytes. In fact, uh, there is a book that was written many years ago called The Thirteenth Tribe that talked about the majority of the people who are Jews today trace their lineage back to people who were Persians and whatnot that uh, became Jews during this time period. And he might be right. There's also the idea expressed in some commentators, by some commentators that uh, this just simply means that they sided with the Jews, that they were all for the Jews from here on out. Um, it's interesting, the book, this particular book, the book of Esther, is, is, talking, is called a book of redemption. I just happen to look up here, over here on this chart right here, and the, it says, uh, Esther, who wrote unknown? What is it about? The story of redemption. And uh, there have been writers down through the years who have taken this particular session and say that this is a foreshadowing of what happens in the Christian age. Now, look at what we've got going on in this particular chapter and tell me how how there have been some people who have written little books and whatnot saying that this is a foreshadowing of the Christian age. Mm -hmm. All right, follow that line of thought, but look at it now this way. Why was there, why were the Jews going to be destroyed? Because of a law that said they were going to be put to death. All right? A very evil person got this law passed. Like the lady, the church lady on Saturday Night Live. Can you say Satan? Okay. Haman represents Satan, and the law represents the law of Moses. Throughout the New Testament, it talks about the law of Moses. All it brings is death because nobody can keep the law of Moses. But then a second law came into effect, the law of Christ. Okay? And and once again, this might not be the case, but this is what people write about. And in the story, story, uh, Mordecai becomes, in a sense, a a Christ-like figure in that he becomes the king that has led the people to safety if you will. So an old law has been replaced by a new law. The first law meant death. The second law means life. All right? Now, in the story also, the second law was spread throughout all the land, letting everybody know that the first law means death, but there's another law that we're writing that's going to take its place that means life. Can anybody say evangelism? 
And then the very last verse of this chapter ends up with people being converted. Okay? So it's kind of neat how it works. I don't know if that's really what was meant when the writer wrote this particular book. But yet, when you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of foreshadowing of what's to come in the New Testament. And so that's why some people say, well, this is a book of redemption because it is the redemption of the Jews. But at the same time, maybe it's a mirror of what's going to happen uh, when the old law is replaced with the new law. And the old law brought death, but the new law brings life. Maybe it's the case, maybe it isn't the case. But any uh, questions or comments? Not that I'm aware of, but there is history that a large, large number of Jews came out of that area. And uh, it can't be just simply because of people who, uh, because of getting married and having babies. And that's why I'm saying that one book called The Thirteenth Tribe refers to that area there as being where the majority of people who refer to themselves as Jews today comes from. Because obviously after Jerusalem fell in 70 A.D., there's no records. And so nobody can say that. Yes, sir. Well, we're going to talk about that. You have to let Jeremy let you come here next week, and we'll talk about that, okay? One thing I thought was interesting, I was doing some reading, and this guy, this commentator put forth the idea that the Jews, these Gentiles didn't actually become proselytes. They just decided that they were going to be siding with the Jews from here on out. And he reminded, in the book I was reading, reminded me of the story, which you're familiar with, when President Reagan was shot. And when President Reagan was shot and taken to the hospital, uh, and they came in to put him to sleep to operate on him to remove the bullet, um, he says, I sure hope all of you are Republicans. And the doctor said, Mr. President, today we all are. And that's kind of like what he was making the thing that, you know, Mordecai is saying, I hope everybody's a Jew. And the, and the people in Persia said, well, today we all are. Because that's the idea behind it. But anyway... Our time is up, and so next week we'll see what happens next.